Hi guys. Hi. Welcome to Kawaii Cast. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in again. Yeah. <laughs> do we want to begin this episode with our spiel or do we want to go straight into the episode? Um, let's just do a quick spiel. All right. Like if you've been listening to us for I think the last 2 weeks, we've had our whole spiel. Yeah. Um, this week we're just going to do a quick overview. So, yeah. So, uh biggest thing we need to talk about next week, we will be doing a live stream with uh Stefan and the rest of the Crack Brain crew. Yes. So, Kawaii cast specifically is just going to be the three of us, me, Tyler, and Stefan. Uh so if you guys are interested in watching that live stream, make sure you guys go check it out on our Patreon. You do need to be a Patreon supporter to watch that. And you'll be able to interact with us and all that fun stuff. So that's really the big one. So so, so that's the big one for us. Um, and that will be will... on Saturday the 23rd? Yes. Yes. Uh, that will be, a, I believe, an eight-hour stream, though. We might not, actually probably won't, be there for the... We like be in the full eight hours. Yeah, no, we are only going to be doing an hour stream for Kawaii. Cast. Yeah, but Kawaii Cast is only going to be one hour. Yeah. So if you want to check that out, check out the Patreon. Yeah, become a supporter. Uh, there are different tiers. They're all listed there. So yes, I believe you just need to be on the dollar tier to check out that stream. That's correct. So. Uh, and the other thing is our affiliation with PopCon. Yes. So that's the other big one uh, that is going to be in June it is a one-day con. If you guys have not gotten your tickets for that yet, go to the go to thecrackedbrain.com. And purchase your tickets there. Purchase your tickets. Uh, it helps us out. Um, they're also doing a couple other events that you can get stuff through us with. So just go to check thecrackedbrain.com. Check it all out. Yeah, so there's multiple passes. Uh, also, if you guys are going to Level Up Expo, we will be there the entire weekend. Uh, unfortunately, you can't get tickets through us, but you can still get tickets through their website. Definitely come find us if you guys are there, because we're going to be doing a few events with Cracked Brain as Absolutely. Well. going to be a blast. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, with look that, at that. We did the spiel so fast this week. I know. <laughs> like... Maybe we should make a script or something. Start being professionals. I don't know. No. <laughs> that would make sense. Yeah, we can't script this. It's all ad lib, baby. Yeah, for just a dollar, you guys could listen to us talk about anime. What a bargain. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> so this week's episode, uh, we're going to dial it back to something we haven't done in a while. Let's talk about themes. Oh, I was, I was going to say, uh, before we get into it couple announcements couple of announcements couple of announcements couple announcements uh miss kobayashi's dragon maid has been announced for a second season did they yep so that one's gonna be cool uh i had another announcement but now i've forgotten Cup announcements so an announcement <laughs> <laughs> uh maybe you'll think of it by the end of this episode probably so so, uh, if, if anybody has noticed a change in my voice, that is because I am sick. Yeah. I know. You guys are getting the rare deep voice, Tyler, this The deep week. voice. The deep voice. This is the Smooth Jazz Hour by <laughs> Tyler Jacobson. I'm kidding. I don't listen to smooth jazz. I was gonna say. You're... But that'd be a good voice for it, don't there you think? There is nothing smooth about you. <laughs> <laughs> 
fair. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's a good voice for you though. Like it almost makes it's. I'm I'm conflicted because I feel the voice matches my face better. It does. <laughs> <laughs> However, it doesn't feel natural. Because so, you're sick. Yes. <laughs> It's a great podcast voice, though. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Maybe maybe one day I'll learn to use this voice on command. Maybe. <laughs> Have Stefan teach you. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my. Yes. It, it works with that, too. Holy shit. <laughs> but, uh, so, yeah, we are tuning back to something we haven't done in a while, and that is a themed episode. Mm-hmm. Normally, uh, we just talk about shit we want to talk about. Uh and normally with these themed episodes, we try to get a guest, but I just don't know anybody that'd be an expert on this subject. And that is the art of readaptations. Mm-hmm. For those of you who are not sure what a readaptation is, this is an anime that had already had an anime adaptation, but got licensed for a new anime adaptation that is either more loyal to its source material or got an upgrade in its animation or is just a whole new thing altogether. Yes. So, there's been a lot of those lately. Uh, there have, actually. Like, a little bit of history on readaptations, because there was a point in time where they were completely unheard of. Typically, when something got animated, if it strayed from the source materials, it was just kind of tough cookies. And it was just like, well... Too bad. Yeah, if, you if you're not happy, go read the source material, you know. Back in the it makes sense if you read the manga days. <laughs> yes, good times. <laughs> and, you know, prior to the it makes sense if you've read the light novels days. Yeah, everything's a light novel everything's nowadays. Everything's a light novel nowadays, yeah. But uh, the f- I don't know if it was the first re-adaptation, but it was probably the most memorable re-adaptation uh, ended up being Helsing, actually. Uh, it was the one that really sparked the idea that something could be remade. And the reason why Helsing was actually such a big deal is because when the manga got a license to become an anime, there were three volumes out at the time, and the mangaka was actually writing them at a fairly good pace. So the anime studio was convinced that they would be able to animate it at the same pace that he was producing it. Unfortunately, they learned that they just signed a contract with one of the laziest human beings on the planet. (laughs) And after his first three volumes... I didn't know I had a contract with them. (laughs) Even worse. (laughs) Uh, After his first three volumes came out within like the span of a year and a half, volume four didn't come out for almost an entire year. And then he started producing the mangas one volume at a time per year. It took him almost a decade to release 10 volumes. That is procrastination on a whole nother level. Yeah. (laughs) And because of this, they really only had four Mm. volumes and notes that he sent them to really create an anime adaptation. And what the anime started as versus what it ended as was an absolute dumpster fire. <laughs> yeah. I anytime I hear somebody unironically say they love the ending of Helsing, 
I just know I can't trust that person. You just you you cringe a little on the inside. I that's the kind of person that you would never leave alone with any kind of weapon. Like you just can't trust them. Uh, <laughs> they completely destroyed any kind of genuine character development for Sarah's or Integra. And while the manga and the readaptation were very very heavy Nazi centric, that was still better than the just absolute garbage villain that was from the original anime (laughs) whose entire existence was even in universe just horrible uh he might as well not have existed they even gave him a name that meant that he didn't exist i want to say it was incognito it's like unobtainium. Yeah, literally. It was the worst thing ever. And they did sprinkle in a little bit of Nazi symbolism here and there, but it was just awful. And I think to me the most offensive thing wasn't even the villain. It was how they handled Ceres because like her whole character arc in the beginning of the series is that she doesn't drink blood even though she's a vampire and In the manga, it's mostly just, like, they ask her, like, you know, do you not like blood? And she's like, well, it's it's not that. I just have this weird feeling, like, I shouldn't drink blood. Like, just something, like, in the back of her mind that was constantly telling her not to do it. In the anime, she was just like, no, I can't drink blood. It came from a human. That's so awful. I don't want to be a monster. I'm a vegan vampire. Oh, it gets worse. Okay, because then eventually she, she starts drinking medical blood, and some other vampires call her out on it. Or, no, somebody else. I don't, it wasn't vampires. It was just somebody who was like, you're a monster because you drink blood. And she's just like, no, it's fine. It's just medical blood. And it's like, you're the type of person that claims to be a vegetarian beats fish. All right? You're still a fucking monster. <laughs> okay? Fish are fish have feelings, too. No, they don't. She, she was worse than a vegan vampire. She was claiming to be a vegan vampire and still drinking blood. All right? What a bitch. She's not a monster because she's drinking blood. She's a monster because she thinks she's better than me. (laughs) Cunt. (laughs) So, yeah. uh, Needless to say, the anime strayed very far from its source material. And then when we finally did get all ten volumes, it was that much more disappointing that we would never get to see it fully animated. Until the studio decided, well, let's make it. Let's fix our mistake. Yep. Not only did they pick correct color palettes and had this insanely beautiful animation that was just very dark, very creepy, and just very distorted, which is very much how it looked in the manga. Like, they really did a good job of recapturing his artwork, which is something that felt very stiff and poorly done in the original anime, which was mostly due to budget constraints. But, again, it was very Nazi-heavy, but that was the better storytelling. <laughs> of course. When you, have to, when you have to say that Nazis are better storytelling than anything, you know your series is bad. Well, I mean, they, they have games on that. A lot of Nazi games. Yeah. Nazis are... I'm not saying, you know, Nazis are lazy but they are pretty cliche (laughs) that is very true (laughs) i cannot argue with it so uh it also had one of the best dubs if only because of how crazy exaggerated all the accents were (laughs) 
Because that's how the manga was. Of course. Like, there's one character, uh, he's an Irish priest. I can't understand what he's saying in the manga. I mean, just just like in real life. Have you ever met an Irishman? <laughs> yeah, see, w- listening to him in the anime is pretty difficult. <laughs> Reading his dialogue in the manga is impossible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't know how they managed to capture an Irish accent in the manga. They did. <laughs> it was terrifying. I legit sat there, like, he had, like, a giant page just filled with dialogue, and I sat there staring at it. I'm like, I'm not even gonna fucking try. Are you kidding me? You're, you're just looking at the page like, what? Yeah, I'm just like, I, I guess I'll figure out what he said when the, you know, anime catches up to this chapter. Can Can, can I get some footnotes on this? It's one of those things you almost have to read out loud, and then you're like, oh, I get it. (laughs) Except you need someone else to read it out loud for you, because since you're the one reading it, it's it's still coming into your brain as a jumbled mix of random letters. Yeah. So, So you need to, like, close your eyes and just listen to it. Yeah. But Helsing Ultimate was definitely one of the best approaches I've ever seen to a readaptation because not only did they say we're going to fix our mistakes, but they went so loyal with it. They're like, we're not just going to remake the anime we already made. We're going to make the manga into an anime. And it quickly became one of my favorite series of all time. Because it's just so damn good. (laughs) It might be cliche as fuck, but it's good. (laughs) And I definitely got into it during my vampire phase, so... (laughs) We've all been there. We've all had a vampire phase, don't deny. Uh, Excuse you, I had a werewolf phase. (laughs) Oh, God, you were Team Jacob. Ew, God, no. (laughs) There are werewolves in uh, Helsing as well, which were omitted from the original anime. I, I, of course there were, because, you know, you you can't have a vampire series without werewolves. It's like, true. Like, they are mortal enemies. They are. <laughs> Who knows why, though? I, I know, right? <clears throat> Maybe it's just because vampires are like stupid dogs. We could use guns. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Stop stealing our prey. I mean, would a vampire be able to suck the blood of a werewolf i'm assuming so i'm assuming so as well because i think werewolf curses only affect the living yeah that's an interesting that's an original werewolf vampire concept where of a uh a a vampire that hunts exclusively werewolves yeah or the idea of like a vampire that hunts a werewolf unknowingly when they were still a human and then gets affected by the werewolf curse And is now a vampire werewolf. (laughs) Only able to turn into a vampire under the full moon. No, he turns into a werewolf under the full moon, but is also a vampire because he was a vampire before. (laughs) But I don't think a vampire could become a werewolf because a vampire is considered undead. And since a werewolf affects the living, it can't affect undead. Okay, what about the other way around? What about the werewolf? Because... The werewolf is a living person, and vampires are capable of turning living people into either vampires or zombies, depending on the circumstances. Would that werewolf turn into a vampire? So. And still be a werewolf? So, um. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm I'm going to say if the werewolf is in the werewolf form, it would become a werepire. <laughs> but if the werewolf is in human form, it would just become a normal vampire. So it because, would break the werewolf because curse. Because the werewolf curse wouldn't be able to take hold of the undead vampire curse. Since, still... since the vampire is undead. Somebody write it. Some, <laughs> somebody write this. Actually, uh, Stefan, if you're listening, I know you want you want to do more writing about monsters. There you go. Original idea. Yeah. Thought up by uh, Kawaii Cast. Yes. Patent pending. I, I don't know how I to... I guess you don't pat- patent that. It'd be copyright. I don't know how to copyright or patent anything, so... <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of paperwork. Yeah. We're too lazy for that shit. So anyway, back to our subject today. <laughs> uh, Helsing Ultimate really opened a lot of doors for this idea of readaptation, And here in the West in particular, it exploded. And like I said, I don't know if this is the first readaptation. But it was definitely the biggest deal because suddenly all of that anime that everybody was complaining about didn't follow the manga or stray too far from its original source material could suddenly be fair game for readaptation. Yeah. And you saw the amount of requests come in in troves. Mm-hmm. And the internet wasn't as big of a deal at this time as it is now like social media was still fairly young but you did see a lot of news articles and fan polls and even like websites just dedicated to please readaptate this yeah and the big one that immediately got an insane amount of attention was full metal alchemist yeah um so before touching on that uh you were you were saying uh Helsing might be one of the first, uh, but what would you say about the Astro Boy anime? Because there was a 60s version of Astro Boy, mm-hmm. but then there was also a, I believe, 80s version. Was there? There was. I only knew about there the 60s were, version. There were two cartoons or two anime of Astro Boy. So I would definitely classify that as a readaptation. Okay. So that might be the first. Astro Boy's just got to be the first in everything. <laughs> of course. So, like, things that I really wouldn't consider readaptations are things like Speed Racer that just got a shitty live-action movie. Yeah, I'm I'm not going to yeah. classify, like, those yeah, live-action so movies. I want to make that distinction right now for the people listening. We are not talking about things that got movie adaptations or anything like that we are strictly talking about series that were brought back and astro boy if it was truly a readaptation then it might very well be the first but i'm i don't know a lot about it and it might have just been a sequel yeah i i don't know if it was a readaptation i just know that there were the two versions there was the 60s and then the 80s yeah so i don't know if the 80s was a continuation or if it was a readaptation and uh, there is a distinction between that as well, and a good example of one that came out last year was Baki the Grappler, which received a anime adaptation in the late 90s, but also received a anime on Netflix, a Netflix original anime last year, just labeled Baki, and the distinction between... Oh, now I remember what the other announcement was. Oh, <laughs> let me finish. Go ahead. But, uh, yeah, so Baki... 
while it is an updated anime and it is done by a new studio and it's super pretty and gorgeous and it continues where the last anime left off. So I don't consider that a readaptation so much as it just the last show got canceled. So they just picked it up. Yeah. So anyway, what's your announcement? Uh, The other announcement is, you know how last year there was a series that came out about the Yakuza that had to get a sex change in Thailand. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And become idol girls. Yeah. Yeah, that series was picked up by Netflix. (laughs) I just saw it browsing the other day. So so that was released on Netflix. I'll probably check that out. It sounds funny. Anyways, on to the topic at hand. So... It's hard to say whether or not Astro Boy is a readaptation, just because I don't know enough about it. Yeah. So, who knows? Maybe you guys know. Let us know. But my point being, Housing Ultimate really opened the door for readaptations, and I even remember uh, way back in the day when I was in high school and everybody had fruits basket fever, and people were so devastated over the idea that fruits basket was never going to be finished. Uh, Funimation actually started a, like, fundraiser sort of thing. Not not really a fundraiser, but kind of just like a fan thing where they had people make paper cranes at cons. And they sent all of the paper cranes to the studio that made Fruits Basket in Japan. And basically all of them just said, please remake Fruits Basket. Yeah. So that kind of shows you how crazy, like, this readaptation hype train was. That anything that got ruined, even a little bit or strayed, just even the slightest, could get a readaptation. And of course, as I mentioned, Fullmetal Alchemist got the most attention around this time. It did. So the biggest reason being that Fullmetal Alchemist was not only one of the most popular anime to come out ever. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. Like I remember when it was coming out, it was absolutely huge. Yeah. Uh, and then when fans of the anime turned to the manga for just more entertainment from the same series, they started to realize just how unfaithful the anime was. And suddenly a demand for a readaptation began to grow rapidly. Yeah. Um, that being said, you know, I actually still love the original Full Metal, yeah. Metal Alchemist. <laughs> like, it is really good, I think. Um, and we did talk about this during our uh, manga to anime adaptation episode, where even though it was an unfaithful adaptation, it was a fantastic a- adaptation. Yeah, absolutely. And and that being said, the reason they strayed is because the anime caught up to the manga. And surpassed it. Fairly quickly. <laughs> Same thing and, with Helsing. And they didn't want to do the thing they do with, like, you know, other shonen. series, shonen series, where they just do bunch of filler mm-hmm. so they just said well let's let's just keep it going and yeah and they really did try to produce the anime as slowly as possible to prevent that from happening uh, a lot of the quote-unquote filler episodes were based off of light novels written by authors that had approval from the original mangaka and even the uh ending where it strayed to was an original draft by the mangaka as well. Yeah. So she had actually made several drafts for how she wanted her story to end. And when the animation studio was too far ahead, she was basically just like, well, 
here's one of my scrapped ideas. Here you go. And then Conqueror of Shambhala, the movie, was basically a 100-page fan fiction written by the studio. And they got full permission from the mangaka to turn it into a movie. So Interesting. Yeah, so... Honestly, though, like, it is one of the biggest debates in terms of readaptations, which one was better, the original or the faithful remake. I honestly would have a hard time choosing because they are both so good. I think when it came down to it, I would probably choose Brotherhood just because I think as a whole, it was a lot stronger. Yeah. I think in terms of an adaptation, the first one is better. But in terms of a story, the second one is better. Yeah. So that's that's my final stance. I know they rushed the Hughes arc. I know the Nina arc wasn't nearly as impactful. I get it. I understand. But it's a better story as a whole. It really is. And that's coming from somebody whose you know favorite character was Maze Hughes. Every time I pick a favorite character, they die. It's some kind of curse. You're not allowed to pick favorite characters. <laughs> Let me pick my favorites. <laughs> Never. Just hope that my favorites are not your favorites. <laughs> Otherwise, you're cursed. Otherwise, they're dead. So... Uh, from there, we kind of started slowing down with major readaptations. Like, I think a lot of yeah, it I was think... due to the response to Brotherhood because a lot of people were fairly disappointed with how it was handled. Well, well, not just that, but uh, after that became the the big light novel boom. Also, even uh, so like... stories that were following manga started to realize how expensive it was to make two anime and started being more careful about how they adapted manga into anime. Yeah. So we started seeing less and less the manga is better forums and more and more this is a faithful anime. Yeah. Topics. And and there's definitely exceptions to, you know, faithful anime adaptations in particular, uh, one comes to mind is Tokyo Ghoul, <laughs> which is an yeah. awful anime. You, if you're a Tokyo Ghoul fan, please tell me why. Without using the word edge or dark. Darkness! <laughs> Tokyo Ghoul is such an awful anime, but I really can't be too upset by people that like the manga. Mostly because I've. It seems like the fans of the manga hate the anime too. I I can I can see why people like it. Just like I can see why people like Sword Art Online. Mm-hmm. I personally don't enjoy it. Sword Art Online at least had a target audience, in my opinion. Tokyo Ghoul didn't do anything. <laughs> they just had a random dartboard and they're they're throwing throwing darts like like two darts. They're going well, to huh, me, it, let's see, undead and extra edge. Well, to me, it, it felt like they were scared of surpassing the manga, so they held back. But what that ended up leading to is an entire season where nothing happened, followed by a second season where the characters no longer had personalities or character arcs, and nothing happened. They were so worried that the manga was going to, or they were going to outpace the manga that they just didn't write anything. 
And that's my issue with it. Yeah. It was literally just like, want to see this character break bones for three episodes? And that was it. And Sword Art Online at least followed its source material at a good enough pace that you can claim that there was a story. Whether you like that story is subjective, but it was still, if it felt like a full anime. Fair. So, and I won't go too much into Sword Art Online just because I've you guys already know my opinion about it, but... Yeah, we we have uh, not hidden our secret uh, feelings towards Sword Art Online. Yeah, so, I mean, if we ever see a modern-day anime get a re-adaptation the same way Helsing or Fullmetal Alchemist did, I would definitely throw Tokyo Ghoul into that ring, because, to me, Sword Art Online is a adaptation of an awful light novel, where Tokyo Ghoul was an awful adaptation of a good manga. Okay. So. That's, that's fair. That's where I stand. I, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> so. But yeah, we definitely saw a decline in that sort of stuff happening. Especially as we started getting more into the streaming era of anime. Which did have the light novel boom and started seeing seasons that were following more 12 episode. Yeah, um, that did kind of happen. Like, when we were watching anime, it was like one season was 24 to 26 episodes. Yeah. And nowadays, you know, one season is 12 episodes. Yeah, so we started seeing studios realize that they weren't going to sink a ton of money into something that they weren't sure was going to be worth it. And that was so different from anime when we started. Like, when we started watching anime, studios would be like, okay, we're adapting a Shonen Jump title. Well, this is your life for the next six years. <laughs> At least. At least. Like, <laughs> it was not unusual for a Shonen anime to easily hit, like, 100 episodes in its first couple of years. It just... That's how it worked. Most shonen anime were weekly shows. It wasn't so much seasons as it was arcs. Mm -hmm. And I think the first major shonen anime I see kind of diverge from that was really My Hero Aka. It was really the first one that was like, we are going to break this down into seasons and you're going to like it. <laughs> yeah, uh, My Hero Aka is actually really cool with that because... They're they're not doing the whole, like, let's just keep making episodes for every Saturday of the year. Yeah. You know, they've, they've actually been like, oh, well, okay, here's one season. Uh, we'll be back in a year. Yeah, give the mangaka a little bit of a break. Yeah. Let them write their stuff for a year so we are not subjecting to either a long hiatus period like Fairy Tale did or filler arcs like Naruto and... Bleach. Many other series. <laughs> uh, speaking of shonen series, I do want to address also Dragon Ball Z in terms of readaptations. Uh, I I mean I don't know a lot about Dragon Ball because there's so much to it. Yeah, and I don't know. And if it... I'm not sure if they are readaptations. Stefan, please help us out on this. Yeah, this one I'm not 100 percent sure if it would be classified as a readaptation or a remastering. Because it seems like, to me, a lot of it was just, we animated this back when HD wasn't a thing, so now we're reanimating it, so it's yeah, HD. Yeah, there was, there was one that was, oh, what was it, like, 
Dragon Ball Z Kai or something. Yeah. That, that I think it took out a lot of the filler or something. Something like that. Yeah. So I, this is one that I, just because I know that people who are going to listen to readaptations are going to want the subject of Dragon Ball in the episode. And we're, I mostly address this that we don't know. Yeah, we we don't know. Like we we literally cannot, you know, say much. Yeah, but I do know that that is one that comes up in subjects of readaptation and debates when it comes to readaptation. So I don't have an opinion on it. Yeah, just because I don't have the facts. But I do know that Funimation constantly talked about how many times they'd have to do the exact same dialogue. Over and over again, because they'd finish a Dragon Ball series, and then they would be told, there's another one that's just the same series. So we gotta redo everything. Yeah. Oh my, yeah. So, so again, I, I don't know if those were remasters or readaptations, but... And there's not it a was, lot of difference. It was something. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> DBZ, uh, we might need to get Stefan to do a DBZ in a nutshell episode again. <laughs> yes, uh, this time uh, minus the spicy curry. Yeah, and this time we'll let him talk. <laughs> <laughs> you mean spicy ramen? Yes, the spicy ramen. Yeah, the spicy ramen. We'll but... opt for spicy curry. I'll well, just... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll make him chicken of the god curry. Mm, yes. <laughs> um, so, so what would you say about the slayers because the slayers had their original series Mm -hmm. and then they had their their uh their movies yeah try uh next like two others i forget what they're all called yeah but then after that they had it was almost like a reboot like what would you consider that one like i don't know if it continued the story or what happened there uh it actually was a continuation. I didn't get to watch either of the new series that came out, but they did take place after Try. Okay. Because it was like, you know, they, they kind of, when they announced it, it was, you know, they kind of made it seem like it was a big deal. It's like, oh, look, more Slayers. And it yeah. it had to have come out, what, five, six years later? Yeah, it after absolutely the original? came out, like, super late. Uh, I only watched a few episodes from the first season that they made. I know they made two new seasons. I couldn't give you much information on them. I know that they were licensed through Funimation, uh, mostly because the original studio that had done the licensing for them in English went under. I believe it was ADV. Sounds about right. The original dubbing. but I So I watched a couple of episodes on Funimation's website, and it, it was a continuation. Okay. Which, I don't know if that was the reason I had a hard time getting into it or what, but it kind of just felt a bit hokey. Especially because the ending of Try was so conclusive. Yeah. You know, it, it left a few questions open, like, are Amelians of Goddess ever just going to do it? <laughs> <laughs> but, Asking the real questions yeah. here. It's strongly implied that they were a couple at the end of the show. But, uh, yeah, so I that one is a continuation. As far as questioning whether or not, like, the movies and the Naga series would be considered an adapt- a readaptation, I don't consider that either because those were OVAs. 
okay. which were completely separate storylines. Yeah. And followed a completely different source material from the mainstream anime. Yeah, no, that's... That, I, I figured those wouldn't be, but that's why I was asking about the the new seasons that came out. Like, yeah. Cause, because they came out so much later than the original series. Like. Yeah, so that, that was like a Baki situation. Okay. So, but... God, I forgot this existed. <laughs> he just brought it up, actually. We didn't even mention that on our Slayers episode. No, we didn't. Yeah, like, I completely forgot those existed. But, God, and now I just really have, like, Naga's voice stuck in my head. It's it's that terrible laugh, isn't it? I'm Naga, Naga the Serpent! <laughs> God. She's like an earworm. Just can't get rid of her. Yeah. <laughs> So, going on to kind of the new era of readaptations, because like I said, there was no longer really a demand for readapt, you know, remaking anime that screwed up. Because less and less were screwing up, and the ones that did screw up, people just stopped caring. It's like, oh, this anime was bad. You just stop watching it. It's pretty straightforward and simple. Yeah, but, uh, it's it's hard for studios to want to invest money in a series that fans have dubbed bad. Yeah, and that really was the difference with the streaming era. Suddenly, people weren't investing a lot of money into DVDs or books. They were suddenly paying for subscriptions to read the manga online or watch the anime on Crunchyroll or high dive or yeah and with that you know they they're able to get their statistics that much faster they're able to say hey um people aren't watching this so let's not continue to invest all this money in it exactly and when things just were bad they were just bad people didn't care enough about the characters or the story or the source material to want a studio to re-adaptate it. So then suddenly became, to me, the golden era of re-adaptations, which is where we're currently sitting. And the reason I call this the golden era is because suddenly it no longer feels like studios just trying to make up for their mistakes and it feels more artistic. Like and they're, they're trying to do right exactly. with, with the series. And I know the biggest one that came out recently was Devilman Crybaby. Mm-hmm. So, again, this definitely isn't the first one, but... Devilman had a series in, was it the 80s? Or was it yeah, the 70s? it was the 80s. So, and the manga, I believe, was from the late 60s and early 70s. Mm-hmm. Okay. The manga was considered extremely legendary amongst, like, horror fanatics. And the 80s anime adaptation was pure 80s aesthetic. (laughs) (laughs) Everything from Thundercats to... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It felt like something that you play, like, Metallica over. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, it looked like one of those crazy animated music videos. Yeah. And it was fantastic in its own right. But it wasn't something that belonged in a modern day anime. Yeah, so, it, it doesn't, uh, it, it doesn't, um, translate well to modern era. Yeah. 
Because, again, it was pure 80s aesthetic. You know, it was... It was those kind of 80s animated things that, like, parents warned you about. <laughs> don't do drugs, kids. Yep, don't do drugs. And that's exactly what it was. <laughs> <laughs> don't do drugs, don't have sex, and don't summon the devil. Un- unlike the 70s... Was it the 70s? I don't remember. Unlike the original run of the uh, Doctor Strange comic book, which encouraged you to do drugs. Mm-hmm. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so the thing that makes Devilman Crybaby so unique is, considering the fact that its source material was, as I mentioned, legendary, the hype around the existence of a new adaptation of it was almost non-existent. I even remember listening to podcasts and watching tubers around the time talking about this series... Because it had shown up as, like, this is coming in, you know, 2018. And getting basically the response of, I literally don't care about this. Yeah. Netflix is going to screw it up, so who cares? Whatever, it's just Netflix. Yeah, it, there was, like, six Devilman fans total at the time, so. <laughs> it was basically just, like, this series that kind of flew under everybody's radar. People knew it was going to happen, but... They're just like, why should But there was care? just, there was no hype generated about it. Yeah, so when the actual adaptation came out, it was a big deal. Because for the first time, we saw re-adaptations not necessarily being faithful versions of their source material, but instead being artistic representations of something that existed in an era that we couldn't get into. Something that existed long before any of us were born. And we started to see why it was legendary. Mm-hmm. And another unique thing that Devilman Crybaby really did well in terms of being, you know, a readaptation was it translated it to our modern day. This was no longer kids living in the 70s or 80s dealing with problems of the 70s and 80s. Where, where they're biggest form of communication was a radial dial telephone yeah this these were kids living in 2018 in a world where donald trump is president and instagram and twitter control the world yeah or something could happen in japan and the entire world will know about it as soon as the video goes viral in a few hours my what a disturbing universe yeah (laughs) Where some high school track student with thousands of followers could have a global impact just by stating her opinion on a blog. Yeah, she had quite an opinion. Yeah. (laughs) And where that opinion, having an opinion on the internet could literally get you killed. Like, uh, it was was good, but I mean, honestly, if, if I were to see it... It was, it's kind of a wall of text. Yeah. Especially I, for Instagram. I, I don't know if I would have read all the way through it, to prob- be honest. I probably would have if it had been shared on my timeline enough times. Okay, yeah. Let's be honest. <laughs> Eventually there's gets a point where like, okay, I've seen this like five times now. I guess I better sit down and read it. Yeah. So, but yes, there is, there's just a point where social media has become so ingrained in our system that... Thinking of a world where it doesn't exist is just kind of bizarre to us. I mean, look at popular television sitcoms and shows and movies that came out in the 80s and 90s that just 
you start to think like, man, this problem would have been easy to solve if somebody just had a smartphone. Mm-hmm. You know, like I know the big one that I see all the time is like how poorly friends have aged. It's like, man, half the problems in friends could have been solved if somebody had like could text. Yeah. You know, or if you could call somebody from where you are or even if, you know, there was a Facebook status that could have cleared this whole thing up. Somebody screenshotted a conversation and be like, here's the evidence. Yeah. You know, like the problems that happened in shows back then just don't exist today. And the problems of today didn't exist back then. And Devil Man Crybaby really drew that line so well that it was kind of crazy, actually. Mm-hmm. And I've even uh, mentioned before that if I had any issue with Banana Fish is the fact that they made the series supposed to take place in 2018. And half the problems didn't make a lot of sense to me because we see the characters with smartphones because it's 2018 and they live in New York. But it's like, why don't you call them on your phone? Why don't you send them a text message? Uh, Low battery life, okay. Why are you not posting these pictures on Instagram? Like... A lot of the problems in Banana Fish could have been solved with these really simple modern day solutions and you never see them use their phones where this manga took place in the 80s and that made way more sense at the time. They're like, I didn't have 75 cents for a payphone, okay? I'm sorry. God. And even when I did, he wasn't at home, so he wasn't there to answer his phone, okay? I tried collect calling you and you refused to answer. God. God. I know. Someday we'll have phones in our cars. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so Devil Mad Cry Baby was absolutely a breathtaking adaptation, if only because it dove into a modern-day society without feeling too political. And that's saying something, considering that Donald Trump made a cameo. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Hard to get political. Yeah. Or hard to not get political. Exactly. Like, it... I mean, they deserve an award just for that, I think. Right. So, uh... Lost my train of thought for a second. Uh, speaking of re I don't know if this one really qualifies as a re-adaptation, which is why I didn't bring it up. Actually, I know it doesn't, because the closest thing it had to an adaptation prior was a movie, but... It still kind of took the same route as Devilman Crybaby, and I wouldn't be surprised if it had some kind of influence on Devilman Crybaby, and that was Parasite, mm-hmm. which came out, I believe, a year and a half before, and was a really good example of taking an old source material and turning it into a modern adaptation. Because suddenly, if you start to notice weird symptoms happening with your body, you can now look it up on Google. Which is what he does. You do not look it up on Google. It always <laughs> results in your, you, you thinking cancer. you have cancer. Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly, finding information about other people having the same problems as you is a lot easier. Where in the original Parasite manga and film, this took place in the early 90s, where that just wasn't a thing. You had a problem, you saw a doctor. Or yeah. you just pretended like it didn't exist and it'd go away. Yeah, it's it's true. That's that's my method of healthcare. Thanks uh, <laughs> thanks to denial, I'm immortal. Yeah, it also uh really touched up more on why the main character was kind of a recluse, and it's because he had the whole world in his bedroom. Once you have a computer, you don't need the outside world anymore. 
Yeah. So he definitely was watching porn in there. But <laughs> he's a high schooler. Well, what do you think he was doing after he got infected with the parasite? It's, it's, it was still porn. It but... brings it up, actually. <laughs> he can't masturbate with that hand now, but I'll be damned if the hand doesn't try. <laughs> <laughs> There's some <laughs> strange rule 34 out there somewhere, I'm sure. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Parasite's a fantastic anime, for those of you wondering. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's probably just like uh, the one Akatsuki member on Naruto <laughs> has, has the mouths on his hand. Ouch. <laughs> Ouch, indeed. <laughs> Yeah, no, there's one scene in Parasite where he's using the bathroom and the Parasite's just like, oh, I wonder what will happen if I do this and it starts jerking him. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's like, dude, calm down. Now's, now's not the time. I mean, he's in the middle of school. He's just using the public bathroom. <laughs> there's even a guy in the urinal next to him. <laughs> like... <laughs> That's got to be so embarrassing. Like, just imagine... Like, you... like, what do you do? You just turn to the guy in the urinal next to you and be like, I can't control my hand. <laughs> Could you imagine just peeing and suddenly in your, like, peripheral vision, you just see that hand motion? <laughs> <laughs> we all know what's happening. You just try not to make eye contact at that point. <laughs> Then the parasite pops up with its one eye and makes eye contact. <laughs> it's pretty bad when you can make eye contact with a hand that's been used to jerk off. <laughs> <laughs> that is a new level of awkward. What do you say to that? <laughs> Where do I get one of those? But I'll have what he's having. Uh, I don't know. Do, do, you, do you light up two cigarettes afterward? <laughs> Are you still considered a virgin at that point? <laughs> Asking the real questions. It's back to readaptation. <laughs> oh, I'm trying, I swear to God. I know. So we did see uh, older anime starting to get picked up again. And again, I don't consider this a re-adaptation, but it definitely was influenced by the amount of people wanting to see old stuff make a comeback, and that would be the Cardcaptor Clear Arc saga. Yeah. Which... And you said you wouldn't classify as it a no, readaptation. It, it is a continuation. Okay, I, I was gonna say it's it's a continuation. Uh, it almost feels like they really should have re, no, done a readaptation of the first two seasons, if even an OVA form, because the biggest problem with the clear card arc was, you know, unlike Parasite and uh, Devilman Crybaby, which did a really good job of adapting modern technology into their series, the clear card arc did a really bad job of this, where the series leaves off with them like having those like brick cell phones. And even those are, like, exclusive to people in their group because they were built specifically for her and her friend. 
And they're just like, they had to go to their one friend's mom just to get more of them. And they weren't on the market yet. Yeah. Uh, the clear card arc picks up like a year later and suddenly everyone has a smartphone. I mean, advances in technology. <laughs> like smartphones went on the market in this universe before flip phones. <laughs> to put that in perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So it almost would have been better, I think, if they had taken the first two seasons and had made, like, a movie or an OVA or something to really just kind of make it feel like this was taking place in the 2000s and not the 90s. Yeah. So it, I think it would have been a pretty easy fix. I think the problem is, like, how do you make something with, like, that many cards and make it something that, that can be done quickly without being too expensive. Yeah. Um, that that being said, since you brought up uh, card captors, it makes me think of uh, Sailor Moon Crystal. Sailor Moon Crystal was a readaptation. Thank you for bringing that up. I forgot. I know. I'd, I've forgotten, too, until you mentioned card captors. Yeah, this is one that got a lot of mixed reviews, mostly because I think one of the things that made Sailor Moon so, like incredible i think is nostalgia and honestly i think sailor moon is one that deserved a readaptation because when you take the nostalgia goggles off sailor moon was pretty awful in its anime adaptation especially the english dub yeah it felt very much like a poorly made sentai series and was kind of hokey in that way i love the art style from it and the moments where the series is very serious and following its sor at source material, it's fantastic. But it would constantly stray from that to give us some kind of hokey lesson of the day, monster of the week kind of series. And it's just awkward. Yeah. <laughs> and like I said, especially in the English adaptation where they tried to convince us that two lesbians were cousins. Clearly they were cousins. That backfired you, immensely because you... that probably started the incest fandoms. <laughs> It started out with cousins, then it went to little sisters. Yep. Uranus and Neptune were the original sisters. Oh, God. <laughs> so, but which one was the little sister? Uh, that's that's very important. Definitely Neptune. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> now that that's established. But Crystal got a really awful budget when it got readaptated, and... It looked terrible. <laughs> People were not on board with how weird and alien-like the characters looked. It was... The fight scenes were really poorly done. Mm -hmm. And suddenly it felt like the main character that we all grew up with and admired as being a strong female role model was just your typical slice-of-life anime girl. Fortunately, they did revamp Crystal later, and it actually looks fantastic now. But... But when it first started coming out. I think the damage was done by the time Crystal finally got the budget it deserved. And it's a shame, because I think Crystal could have absolutely been a really good re-adaptation. Mm -hmm. I even think it would have done better than the clear card arc in the terms of bringing these girls into a modern day setting. We could have seen the main characters 
now dealing with smartphones <coughs> and MP3s and laptops as opposed to floppy disks. Uh, excuse you, I miss the days of the world being able to be saved by a 256 megabyte floppy disk. That's way too many megabytes for a floppy disk. <laughs> no, that was pretty standard. Was it? Yeah. I feel like it had a less space than that. You're, you're, you're thinking gigabytes. No, I'm definitely thinking megabytes. My first flash drive had that many megabytes on it. <laughs> Your first flash drive was weak. <laughs> That was, like, up-to-date technology at the time, too. Yeah. But, um, God, remember the days when two gigs was, like, super impressive? I I remember when some of my video games would take up, like, two gigs. Like, you'd look mm -hmm. at it and be like, system requirements, you know, two gigs of memory. And, like, holy shit! Yeah. And you'd have to go home and be like, do I have enough memory? And you end up deleting, like, three other games just to put on this new game. Now you have a terabyte hard drive for your video games, and <laughs> yeah. you're still thinking it's not enough. Exactly. But, yeah, now new new games coming out, it's like, oh, this takes up 50-some-odd gigs. And it's like, oh, holy shit. Yeah. So, moving on to our re-adaptations... You can definitely see, like, a lot of the influence with, you know, things coming back that either didn't get proper adaptations or were just so long ago that it's hard to get modern fans into it. And that brings me to definitely my favorite show this season, Dororo. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, this latest episode absolutely broke me, by the way. But it, to me, I watched this and it's so hard to believe that this is a 50-year-old series. Yeah. Like, the storytelling and the characterization and even, like, the monsters all just feel like they belong in today's anime world. And this one I can't really claim as a modern-day adaptation because, obviously, this is taking place in Edo, Japan. Mm-hmm. Like, this is during the time of the samurai when the whole country was basically at war with each other all the time. And... It just feels so good. Like, if somebody hadn't told me that this was made by the same creator as Astro Boy, I would never believe it. Yeah. I I wouldn't either. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. And I think the thing that makes this readaptation so unique compared to the other ones we've mentioned on this list is that, one, they did condense the series down a lot from its original manga because... Uh, I believe they mentioned it's 12 demons in this series. The original, it was 100 demons. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> so he was getting back his body parts a lot slower. But the other thing that makes this unique is that it's not only making it feel like a modern adaptation, but it is uh, paying tribute to the original as much as possible. Yeah. Um, it, it also helps when you don't have to make this modern adaptation into, you know, modern times. So you don't have to deal with new technology Yeah. to, you know, add into this adaptation. Yeah. Uh, fun little things they're doing to pay tribute to the original series are things like the two main characters, while being in color, feel very grayscale and black and white compared to the supporting cast that all feel extremely colorful and bright. We'll see characters wearing, like, red kimonos. 
and having very like rosy cheeks where the two main characters Dororo and Yakimaru have very gray skin and brown eyes and dark hair and dark clothes. Yeah. Even uh Hyakimaru's father is wearing gray robes and compared to his wife who wears multiple colors. And his son who wears bright red and gold. Yep. And I think that's something that's just really incredible is from an artistic point of view. Another thing that they did, which kind of severed it from its original uh, anime adaptation, is back when this was animated, cartoons all kind of had to have some kind of like happy feel to them. And the one thing that Dororo originally did was it had a mascot character similar to the chimp in Speed Racer. <laughs> so... Yeah, uh, stupid chimp. In this case, it was a puppy dog that followed them on all their adventures and was Dororo's best friend. Uh, we do see the puppy dog in this anime adaptation, but only for a short while, and that was in the very first episode. Mm-hmm. And when Dororo meets the dog, he offers him some food, but then immediately tells him that he refused to give it to him, because otherwise he would never learn how to take care of himself. This is very uncharacteristic compared to the original Dororo, where he would basically spoil the dog all the time. And there's there's a reason the dog was following them around. Yeah. And it was, like I said, it was very mascot character-like. So the idea that this adaptation is, like, rejecting the idea of a mascot definitely severed it from its original version. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. So... I really love the direction they're taking the series. And if you guys are not watching this, go steal your friend's Amazon account and watch it. <laughs> yes, Dororo is absolutely fantastic. Uh, high high marks of approval from both of us. It's rare that Tyler and I agree on a drama series, you guys. It's, it's so true. Normally, if I'm watching a show like this, Tyler has zero interest. So, uh, another one... That's also uh, came out on the 50th year anniversary. I wouldn't necessarily consider it a uh, uh, a readaptation, but again, like from 50 years ago, Mm. uh, Megalobox. Yeah. Uh, So Megalobox is based on a manga called Ashita no Joe. Uh, and it had received a an anime adaptation in the 90s, something mm-hmm. like that, which is re- commonly called Champion Joe. Yeah. So, again, I, I wouldn't necessarily call it a re-adaptation because it's so much different than Champion Joe, but mm-hmm. they are both based on the same manga. Yeah, which I think you could qualify that as a re-adaptation. And that was one that you definitely also felt that vibe of, like, how much this particular era of, like, readaptations is having so much influence. Like, mm-hmm. Megalobox definitely could not have existed in the streaming era when it first started. But we're seeing more and more studios really like this idea of, hey, remember that show that came out? 20 some odd years ago and everybody's like no and they're like good because we're about to make another anime based off it excellent (laughs) yeah and we don't need you comparing those shit 
Although, if you are going to ever make a comparison between an old series and a re-adaptation, I definitely recommend Devilman. Because the English dub of the Devilman OVAs was a gift from God. Hey, remember this old series? Uh, kind of. Well, forget everything you knew about it. Yeah. Because <laughs> here is something better. God, I'm trying to think of, like, other really big ones that came out. Especially because we are seeing more and more of this become a common thing. And like I said, it's so different from the Helsing Ultimate Fullmetal Alchemist Brotherhood era where it was just like, hey, uh, forget that we screwed up. We're going to make a better thing. Uh, yeah. Don't look over there. Yeah. Look at this new thing. <laughs> yeah, don't look under the curtain. Whatever you do. Exactly. Remember that anime we screwed up two years ago? Where well, here it is again. <laughs> this is definitely a more artistic approach to it, and version version two And it's kind of fun seeing these readaptations really uh, pay tribute to their original source material as well. Uh, I already mentioned Dororo bringing up the dog and the art style, but Devilman Crybaby probably did it the best, in my opinion. Like uh, one being the Devilman no Ota theme, which has gone viral. Of course. If you do not know that theme, uh, just look up any Devilman viral video the last year. I guarantee that song is playing. <laughs> and that was a tribute, of course, to the original OVA's OP, which is actually really kind of catchy, too. Like, if you listen to the original version. Yeah. Like, it was a pretty good song for its generation, you know? But uh, you also see other things that Devilman did to pay tribute to its original source material, such as you see images from the manga sprinkled throughout the whole thing, and his, uh, or Mika's, Miki's. Yeah, Miki's younger brother is looking up Devilman on YouTube. Yeah. And you see stuff from the OVA series. So... So it's it's kind of funny cute, that cute little little things like that. Yeah, so it's kind of funny that the Devilman series exists within Devilman Crybaby. Yeah, which is weird. But does doesn't the little brother like have a Devilman toy or something too? Yeah, he has like a Devilman action figure or something like that. Yeah, like <laughs> which is just hilarious. Yeah, it's it's just fun little things like that, and I think uh. Parasite even paid tribute to the live-action movie as well. Did it? Yeah, I think there was, like, a shot or something where, like, one of the DVDs had, like, the cover on it or something like that. Oh, okay. Or, like, during his Google search, like, something popped up. I see. Yeah, so... That's pretty cool. Yeah, I think it's a lot of fun seeing that kind of stuff happen, and I... I love the idea that people are taking it to a more artistic approach. Because, one, it means that you can separate it from its original anime version or its original source material. But also, I feel like it's just kind of says a lot about the director and the writers behind it. Yeah. You know, I, I really love, like, digging into the minds of the people who work on these series. And I think that's the fun thing about readaptations that nobody really talks about. A lot of people are always just like, oh, is it is it as good or is it better? Or And I'm like, I like that we're to a point where we don't have to ask those questions. Yeah. 
And I think that's something that makes me hesitant about next season's biggest re-adaptation coming out, and that would be Fruits Basket. Mm-hmm. This is one that people are already asking those questions, and it makes me kind of sad. Yeah, um, it's it it's interesting because along with re-adaptations, oftentimes the art style is also updated. And that's kind of one of the things that has happened with Fruba. Yeah. Is the art style is is it's being updated. It's you know, it's it's got more like the hair has more hair fibers, it's not just a line, yeah, you know, whatnot. The eyes are a bit more slender as well and are colorized a bit more like modern anime. Yeah. And we are seeing the environments and everything look a bit more high definition. Yeah. <laughs> so we it definitely feels like a modern anime. And a lot of me hopes that we do not get the same situation as the clear card arc where we're getting, this is happening in 2019. You know, I really do hope they keep this time setting true to the manga because uh, the original anime actually came out in the early 2000s, but the manga actually takes place in the early 90s. During, I, I can't remember exactly what year, but it was in the year of the pig. Or year of the rabbit, sorry. So I believe it was... It was whatever year you were 12, because you were born in the year of the rabbit. So when I was 12, it would be 99. 99? Okay, so Because I was born in 87. Yeah, that's the year that it took place. It was 1999. Uh, I really hope they keep that time setting. Because I believe the original anime came out like 2005, 2006. Yeah. So, but yeah, so I, I would love to see them keep the characters from that time. And I don't want to see smartphones or too much technology. Yeah, I, I can understand where you're coming from on that. Yeah. I've also seen people bring up questions of like, how are they going to handle topics that are a bit more relevant today, such as, are they going to make Ritsu a trans character? As opposed to just a cross-dresser. And it's kind of hard to just say, well, I hope they don't bring it up. Because the fact is, even if the series doesn't bring it up, the fan base is going to bring it up. Especially the new fans who weren't, you know, aware of the series prior to this adaptation. Yeah, um, it, it's it, weird things like that. Yeah, and I would like to be the kind of person that just says... No, we're not going to bring any of that up. <laughs> it's not going to mention anything like that. This is this is a 1999 year. This is strictly politics of that time and Cross, that generation. Cross-dressers didn't exist. Well, they did, but like, you know, typically trans rights weren't a major political issue of the time. Yeah. And trans representation in shows was almost non-existent at the time. And to me, like, it's not that I feel like that representation shouldn't exist, but I feel like it shouldn't, the character shouldn't be changed for the sake of representation. Yeah. And I'm kind of hoping the series handles those things well. Because if this series ends up being a hit, it opens up a new door for readaptations that we haven't seen in a long time. And that is these shows we grew up with can suddenly be on the table again see see that'll be hard though because uh 
there's there's also the the cultural differences. Yeah. You know, in Japan, they it's it's not so much a a trans thing. Like it's it's not as big of a thing as it is here in the U.S. Yeah, and I completely agree with that. Uh, my point being, I hope Fruits Basket does what Sailor Moon Crystal failed to do. And that is get people involved in a series that was part of our childhood. Yeah. And bring a new generation of fans. Because like I said, if if it works, we suddenly have that many more options for readaptations. I know one that has been a big subject of debate since last October, uh, since the series received a new OVA, was Yu Yu Hakusho. And... The, Make no mistake, these OVAs are not re-adaptations. These are, if anything, continuations. One is a sequel to the end of the main anime, and one is a prequel to the main anime. But God, they were pretty. <laughs> God, yeah. they're so pretty. I have watched it probably a thousand times, and the thing that makes it just, so unique... You just, you just have it playing on repeat in your head. Mm -hmm. The thing that makes these OVAs so unique, though, is that while it is a modern-day, like, animation style, and it's digital, and it's high-def, and new character updates, and all that stuff, it feels like the original series. Which is something you never see in re-adaptations. Usually, re-adaptations take on their own style and vibe. The Yu Yu Hakusho OVAs feel like you're watching Yu Yu Hakusho again. Yeah. It throws you back into the late 90s and early aughts when, you know, you'd hang out with your friend and watch it after school on Toonami. You'd, yeah, you'd, you'd hang out with your friends and be like, oh, look, I got the VHS. Let's no, watch this. No, uh, Yu Yu Hakusho was post-VHS era. Oh, okay. It was early DVD era. <laughs> I will... I don't think Yu Yu Hakusho was ever on VHS, actually. At least not in the US. Uh, okay. Yeah, it might have been on VHS in Japan. I, I I could have sworn I've seen VHSs of it, but I'll, I'll look into it. But and we might talk about that on a future episode. But yeah, this one has been a big subject of this should get a readaptation and why. Mm -hmm. And I really do think a lot of that is just people seeing the OVAs and being like, "This is so fucking pretty," and the fight sequences just feel so much like heavier and. You know, it feels like Yu Yu Hakusho had so many restrictions when it came out. Like, they did the best they could with the tools available to them. But look at how many more tools we have now. Imagine what we could do with it. Yeah. And I definitely want to jump on that boat. But at the same time, I want to see if Fruits Basket could pull it off first. I get it. Yeah. So... And like I said, I, I would love for shows like that to be on the table again. We could get a proper adaptation of like things like Roroni Kenshin and even like the Gundam series could be redone properly and Yeah. Uh it would it would open up a whole new realm of possibilities. Yeah. And like I said, right now we are sitting in the golden era of readaptations due to the fact that there are so many legendary franchises that have been brought back. And actually, I mentioned Devilman might have opened that door, but now that I think about it, I think there was another anime that actually opened that door first. And that would probably be JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. As that one did have a anime adaptation in the 90s that was only focused on part three. And David Productions did bring us parts one and two, which 
suddenly turned everybody in the U.S. into a JoJo's fan. Yeah. Uh, that one feels more like the Helsing Ultimate uh, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood style, though, where it's just like, we're going to be more faithful to the original source material. But damn, it was so good. <laughs> like, David Productions, like or hate JoJo's, David Productions knows what they're doing with it. Yeah. And I, I think... I can commend them. Like, they've they've brought a lot of people into the fandom. Yeah, they... I'm just not personally a fan. They made people in the U.S. fans of something that was so niche even in Japan. And because of that, we suddenly see a lot of these legendary series getting the treatment that they deserved from the beginning. Yeah. And I think that's the magic of the art of readaptations. So, uh, speaking of legendary series, we all know a certain one. Get in the robot, Shinji. <laughs> yes, uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion, which... I think this falls into what I was talking about with DBZ, where it's not so much re-adaptations as they are remasterings. Yeah, no, it's um, it's actually kind of weird because like, like I've seen the original series, but like the the new remaster, re-adaptation, whatever you want to call it, like it, it goes over the same story, but they also add more to it. Yeah, you know, and and they are. It is coming out as a series of movies, so it's like, you know, the first one was, you know, Evangelion 1.02 or something, you know, like, yeah. you you are not alone, and, and, and it's coming out, and I think the most recent one was 4.44, or it has been announced. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's one. Yeah, and then, you know, they, they remade the whole series and called it Darling in the Franks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Except <laughs> Evangelion didn't go to space. Yet. Yeah. That's it. I'm out. Evangelion goes to space. I quit anime forever. But yeah. Uh, I know we definitely missed a lot of series. Oh, I'm sure we did. There's a lot. But I definitely feel like... This is the best time to remake anime, and there's so many series from Japan that we don't know about, that most people in the U.S. don't know about, that, like, three people living in some basement in Ohio might know about. The If you're listening, tell us. <laughs> yes. I want to see what else we can get, especially because... The creator of Astro Boy had so many successful franchises. And seeing what we could do with Dororo, I really want to see what we could do with some of his other series that Absolutely. were overlooked. And seeing what we could do with Devilman makes me want to say, let, let's pull out some of the other dark, grungy anime of the 80s and give them a fair readaptation. Let's Let's pull out these dark, grungy anime and polish them up, and then throw them in the mud and make them even darker and grungier. Like, could you imagine, like, Ninja Scroll getting a proper readaptation? Uh, yeah. That would actually be kind of cool, I right? think. Right? <laughs> it would give us a dark, grungy ninja anime that we haven't seen since Basilisk, which got a sequel this year that nobody cared about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We still need to do our dark anime episode, too. We do. 
But yeah, uh, I'm just saying I'm kind of sick of the light novel boom. I want the readaptation boom. That's fair. I mean, I, I I enjoy some of these light novels, you know, mm. and they're the anime adaptations. But at the same time, there's I, so many of them. I should say specifically, I'm sick of the isekai boom. The isekai boom. Oh, my God. Like, <laughs> like there's a few that are pretty good, but I'm so sick of isekai. And if you want to keep our isekai boom going, can we get... Some of the early isekais get readaptations, like Twelve Kingdoms, Magic Knight Ray Earth, uh, Fushigi, Yugi. Fushigi Yugi. Could we get uh, Dot Hack Sign? Even would be fantastic oh, with a modern day adaptation. That would be great. I would love Dot Hack being getting an adaptation. Yeah, like they're like I said, if Fruits Basket does well, things like that are back on the table. Yeah. So. I think it is really important for people to understand what role readaptations play in the anime community and why you should care. <laughs> At the same time, I feel like you should also just like anime for being good. I feel like we need to stop looking at things with the nostalgia goggles and realize that maybe this version of Fruits Basket is actually going to be better. Yeah. Maybe the clear card arc was actually pretty damn good as a standalone series. Maybe Sailor Moon Crystal deserved more credit than it got. Maybe Yu Yu Hakusho would be awful with a modern day filter. <laughs> stop, stop looking at things like this is my childhood so it deserves more attention. And start looking at things like, is this good? But then if it is good, maybe p look at the tributes that it pays to its original concepts. Yeah. And if you were a fan of Devilman Crybaby, or if you are watching Dororo... I mean, if you think about it, like, the people who are remaking these series, you know, they were probably a fan of the original, just like yeah. you. Like, they they want you to enjoy it again. Like the creators of the new Thundercats. <laughs> right? Not opening up that can of worms right now. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Not going there. <laughs> But yeah, I, I think it is important to be subjective, but also just understand, you know, the roots. You could appreciate a cherry blossom tree, but also realize that it used to be a seed. Yep. Yeah. That was way too deep. I'm sorry, you guys. I apologize for my horrible metaphor that probably went over your head. It's too intelligent. Sorry. On that note... <laughs> <laughs> Should we uh, talk about any series we're watching now? Yes. Uh, I mean, obviously, Dodoro. Go, go over go over two. Yep. I am now under contract by myself to mention Dodoro in every episode. But we already talked about it this episode, so we're good. Uh, other anime that I am watching this season, of course, Mob Psycho 100. Mm -hmm. Speaking of shows that are breaking me... <laughs> You have a, a habit of of gravitating towards those I ones. I really do. I'm like some kind of masochist. Mob Psycho 102 is so damn good, you guys. It It is pretty good. I'm enjoying it. I feel like this show is breaking all of my expectations that I had for it and is crushing it into a thousand little pieces and is telling me that I need to eat it. And I don't know how to feel. Uh, excuse you. It's 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 crushing it into thousands of little pieces and 
cutting it into lines and telling you to snort it like cocaine. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> I don't know how to feel. This show won't tell me how to feel. It's just punching me in the it's heart. Just, it's just throwing feels at you. Just take it. It's stepping on me and I'm telling it thank you. I mean, some people would probably pay good money for that. <laughs> Don't get stepped on by junior high students. That's weird. So... And some people might pay pretty good money for that. <laughs> no. We do not condone that here on our channel. We do not. <laughs> uh, what are you watching this season? Uh, so I am watching uh, Domestic Girlfriend. <laughs> it's... <sighs> It's an awkward, it feels like a daytime TV soap opera, <laughs> and I have no idea why I'm liking this stupid show, but I am. <laughs> Who is he going to end up with, his sister or his sister that is also his teacher? Oh, but now they've introduced a new girl. Is it going to be the friend of the sister that has fallen for him? <laughs> Also, the teacher is in a uh, in a relationship where the guy is cheating on his wife with her. Oh, wow. Yes. So, like I said, it is like total daytime TV soap <laughs> opera. This is just one of those it's... kind of shows where the girls are just slapping each other like, you bitch! You bitch! It is. Like, the, <laughs> like this most recent episode, you know, when uh, they introduced the friend, you know, uh... She comes in, and she introduces herself to the the younger sister, and she's like, oh, my name's blah, 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 and, you know, basically, like, want to be friends, you know, that whole spiel. Mm -hmm. And then the younger sister goes to class, and in class, you know, the, like, three other girls approach her, and they're like, oh, we saw you talking to this girl, and you she's, bitch. she's such a slut. <laughs> like, seriously. It's, did, did you know she had a six-way... <laughs> yeah it's it's so bad but like i said i don't know why i'm enjoying it but i am yeah uh one that i'm watching which actually i meant to bring up in this episode and i fucking forgot because i'm dumb good job uh boogie pop boogie pop boogie pop is doing fantastic uh it's one of those uh really don't watch it week to week you guys yeah no i i'm not caught up on this because I i'm not have completely been, caught up because but... i have been trying to wait until there's three or four episodes before i watch that part yeah this one it's a show that will make you feel smart and this one is a readaptation i can't talk too much about it as a readaptation because <coughs> uh i never watched the original but I have, like, four friends on my Facebook that all talk about how the original was, like, the best anime they've ever seen in their lives. Yeah. Uh, this was one of the original light novels. This this was a light novel before the light novel boom. And this anime will make you feel smart. Which is crazy. But it is so good. Uh, it really does kind of drip feed the information to you. So the very first episode uh, covers, like, the first mystery, which... It gives you the beginning of the show and then the end of that arc. And that's all you get. And then the next two episodes give you the middle. Yeah. But from two different perspectives. So yeah, you need to watch all crazy. three to get the whole answer. Yep. 
You feel like a detective. Piecing it all together like, oh, I bet it's this person. And then at the end of the episode, at the end of the next episode, you're going, oh, shit, it wasn't that person. It was this other person. Yeah. And, like, the thing is, the it doesn't, like, hide anything either. Like, the information it gives you is giving it to you clear cut. Yeah. It's the, just because the, you're... The difference is you're, you're getting that information from one perspective. Yeah, and you're also getting it out of order. Yeah. So, it is probably one of my most recommended anime of this season. And I'm loving it, like, so much. It's... It's one of those that I definitely won't be talking about week to week like I am with a lot of the other anime I'm watching because I feel like that's not the best way to enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> I almost feel like if you guys are watching so many things right now that you're having trouble to keep up, put this one on the back burner and binge it as soon as the last episode comes out. Absolutely. So. Like I said, I'm, I'm waiting for several episodes to be out before I start watching again yeah it's rare for me to recommend a back burner anime but this is this is one that every now and again you pull it to the front burner and you just enjoy it <laughs> so, yeah uh yeah other anime one we're both watching and one that i do want to do a what you should watch uh in a few weeks so i don't know when we'll do the what you should watch but it'll probably be near the end of the season is the promised neverland the Promised Neverland, yeah. Uh, this this one's a good one. Yeah. This is another one that'll make you feel smart. Yeah. Especially if you pick up on a lot of these subtle clues and uh, kind of misdirections that they give you throughout the series. Because there's already been a lot of misdirections. There has. Uh, it's It's been pretty insane. I know not the most recent episode, but last week's episode... It, it kind of led off on this this big bombshell of like, oh my gosh, look, here's the big big surprise. And, and you're going, oh shit, what's going to happen next week? Yeah, like it, it had this big reveal mm. of a character who turned out to be a traitor, but was so misleading that you never would have guessed it. And then the current episode went into full detail and like, how did... You know, you figure it out, and, like, God, it's... The characterization used in this is so unique. Yeah. Like, I don't know anybody that could have guessed who the traitor was, if I'm being honest. Like... Right. Not only because of the misdirection, but because it didn't follow your typical profile of a villain character. And I'm not talking about, like, the sense of, like, oh, it was the cute lowly girl the whole time. But it was more just, like, wow. Like, the motivation and the timing and the pacing and everything built around this character just didn't fit any kind of profile. For reals. So you start to... It did come out as a huge shock. You're like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, that can't be right, right? You're just... You're dumb, right? You're just, you're just messing with me, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> and even the way they handle this situation is just fantastic. And I, I think this is... We start to see the characters slowly become more mature as well. Because all of these characters are children and... Well, they're kind of forced to become mature, is yeah. the thing. And I think the uh, characterization of seeing these, like, 
super bright, happy children that are living in like the fantasy land of good parenting and nurturing and everything is sunshine and happiness like, all the time. It's like paradise for as of an orphan orphanage. Yeah, and having that rug pulled on them at the age that they're at where you're starting to learn that the world is a lot darker place. I think it's a strong metaphor for puberty. Because, <laughs> I mean, at what age did you become the edgelord that you are, you know? <laughs> like, at uh, what age did you start arguing uh, yes. with your parents? I, I remember it very clearly. <laughs> it was it was the year 2001, yeah, November sounds, 7th. Sounds right. But, I mean, like, I think... Most teenagers and young adults will remember that age where they started fighting with their parents. Yeah. And not just, like, getting mad because they want to buy a toy for them, but actually genuinely fighting. I think there's that age where most people remember when they started to genuinely dislike their family and start liking their friends. And I know that doesn't happen to everybody, but it is a really common thing that happens with teenagers. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, like, if you have younger siblings, you mm-hmm. tend to think your younger sibling is a brat. Uh, it's and, the same and... thing way with older siblings. As somebody, I only had one younger sibling, and he was a full decade younger than me. I thought my older siblings were brats. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. So, like, I thought they were the most evil people in the planet. <laughs> <laughs> And I think that's kind of what the series represents in, you know, a very deep sense is like that fear is like, what if my mom isn't the best person on the planet? What if, you know, my parents actually don't love me? I I don't have to worry about that. My mother is the best person on the planet. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) But there, there does come a point in everybody's life where they start to question like, maybe my family sucks. Yeah, it's true. And I think that's how these characters are all behaving. And you do see it from three different perspectives. You have the girl who's like, all of the younger ones need to be protected at all costs because I'm the adult and I have to be there for them. And then you have the one character who's really only looking out for his number one. And that's her. And he's just like, I don't really care about myself or about any of the younger ones, I just care about her. And if it's important to her, it's important to me. You know, and then you have the one who's kind of the nihilist, who's just like, well, my friends are the only important people. My family is sucking dick. He's like, well, my two friends are important to me, but those other kids, fuck them. Yeah, my family could suck a dick as long as my friends are okay. And I think that's kind of the nihilist that I was when I was, you know, 13, 14, 15. But did you ever actually tell your mom, hey, go suck a dick? No. (laughs) (laughs) But I I think it is interesting to see, like, the different characters going through adolescence from different perspectives. Yeah. Not to mention, this series is just insanely dark. Like I said, we will cover the series a bit more in depth in the near future. I think I am going to wait until near the end of this season before we officially Um, drop that episode. Yeah. It's I'm, a very spoiler-heavy series. I'm I'm really wondering where it's going to go. Yeah. I know that it is a Shonen Jump title, so I don't even know how long the source material is oh right God. now. Oh, God. I didn't realize that. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, 
I mean, hopefully it's not too long. Like, I can't Mm -hmm. foresee it lasting, like, hundreds of episodes. Yeah, originally it was a Shonen Jump title that actually uh, almost got dropped. Really? Yeah. Wow, that's intense. Yeah, it did really poorly in its fan polls, and then suddenly it made its way to, like, the top ten. So... I don't know if Shonen Jump is going to play their hands that they normally do where they force the mangaka to, you know, sign a contract for a much longer deal than they were ready for, or if the mangaka is going to put their foot down and be like, this is, this is the series beginning, middle, and end, and this is how it's going to be. Yeah. Like, this is how it is. I've already got it laid out. It's a done deal. Yeah. So... Yeah, uh, we can't talk too much about that one without giving away spoilers, so if you guys are following us week to week, make sure you're caught up on that by the time we drop that episode, because it is going to be an extremely spoiler-heavy episode. Oh, yeah. We're not going to hold anything back. At all. So, (laughs) alright, with that, I think that can wrap up this episode. Uh, I think so. Yeah, uh, again, uh, tomorrow drops the Crunchyroll Awards. Oh, is it tomorrow? Tomorrow after this episode goes out. Oh, okay, yes. Yeah, so uh, next week will probably be a salt episode. Probably. Giving you guys a heads up. Well, I don't know. Like, I felt like the Crunchyroll Awards had some pretty good diversity, but at the same time... Next week will probably be a salt next episode. Next week will probably be a salt so episode. So, <laughs> heads up on that. <laughs> and then next Saturday will be our live stream. So make sure if you guys are interested in listening to us to ramble... Uh, I think we'll reveal the topic of that episode in our next episode. Yep. So make sure you guys are signed up to our Patreon for Cracked Brain. It's a dollar to watch it live stream, and that means you get to interact with us and talk to us. So we definitely appreciate it. Give us your contribution. Yeah, we would love to see you guys there. So make sure you guys are doing that. All right, with that, we're going to let you go. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.